0: Welcome to the Bully Pulpit from the University of Southern California Center for the Political Future. Our podcast brings together America's top politicians, journalists, academics, and strategists from across the political spectrum for discussions on hot-button issues where we respect each other and respect the truth. We hope you enjoy these conversations. Hello, I'm Mike Murphy and welcome, welcome, welcome to a panel. I've been very excited about Apocalypse Then and Now, Millennium Cults to QAnon. So here we are. But of course, if you're part of the conspiracy, you knew all this and you knew that I was replaced three days ago by an Android. So this is all under the control of the deep state. But if you don't believe that, and you're fact-based, you're going to really enjoy this panel. I want to introduce our, our uh, tremendous team here to... Talk about that upbeat topic, the apocalypse. I'm just glad we have at least an hour till it happens. So we ought to be able to squeeze the panel in. Joining us is Marley Clements, who's a documentary filmmaker, political strategist, and co-founder of Bunker Crew Media. She spent more than a decade in Washington, where she's worked in various capacities for campaigns, think tanks, and advocacy groups. And her most recent film, right on topic, QAnon, The Search for Q which he co-created and hosted, was released by Vice TV in 2021, and immediately became one of Vice's highest rated shows. Sylvain Piron is a medievalist and the Director of Studies and Chair of Intellectual History of Medieval Societies at the School for Advanced Studies in the Social Sciences in Paris, France. His research focuses on medieval intellectual history from the 12th to 14th century. He's offered numerous books, including Genealogy of Economic Morals, the occupation of the world. And that's Google's best attempt at a translation from the native French tongue in which it was written. Denver Riggleman is a former U.S. congressman and a former Air Force intelligence officer. I may get into Area 51 with him just a little bit. Uh, He represented proudly Virginia's 5th district. Uh, He is CEO of Riggleman Information and Intelligence Group. He also makes a great whiskey, by the way. You can find that online. I couldn't resist a plug being one day after St. Patrick's Day. Uh, And he's the author of Bigfoot, It's Complicated. A congressman and former intelligence officer explores the politics of true believers, Bigfoot and otherwise. Jay Rubenstein is a uh, a professor here at USC, a history professor and director of the Center for the Premodern World at USC. He studies the cultural and intellectual history of the high Middle Ages with emphasis on the Crusades, monasticism, biblical uh, I'm sorry, Professor. I'm going to mangle this because I'm Captain Malaprop here. Genesis and prophetic thought. So right on target. He's a former MacArthur fellow and a Rhodes scholar. So here we go. We're going to dive into all this, and I, I'm going to ask the the first question, kind of on a historical basis, because in these these apocalyptic cults and this stuff, we 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 you know you wonder where did it start? Where did it come from? And I think the roots are essentially religious. So who wants to take a crack at that? kind of what the origin story of the whole idea of an apocalyptic cult uh, was. Yeah, why don't you both take a crack at it? You guys are medieval experts, so.
1: Yeah, well, it's not medieval. The the root is not medieval. It's ancient, and it's it's Jewish. The the whole Christian apocalyptic tradition has a Jewish basis. And the the first uh, prophetical apocalyptic texts are very strictly connected to the invention of monotheism. Uh, and the style uh, the Book of Ezekiel uh, in the sixth century before Christ, and this is very basically it 's a way to solve the problem of uh, universal God connected to one specific people, and God has to give the final victory to that people before the end of times so this is that 's why we have lots of narratives invented to explain that uh, the unfolding of events that will lead to the uh, final victory. Uh, of the Jews, led by someone who should be the Messiah. That's the Messianic uh, tradition, which has been mm-hmm. taken down by Christians since uh, Jesus Christ was himself a Jew, and was thought to be the Messiah himself.
2: The problem with the apocalyptic tradition is that it's Aimed toward the final victory of the Jewish people, but they are written at a time when that was pretty far off. The Jewish state had been destroyed; the Jews were in the Babylonian captivity, or with the Book of Daniel, they were being dominated by the Seleucid kingdoms, the successor states to Alexander the Great. So, Judaism was at its political nadir when these things were written, and they were. Kind of fantasy texts about here we're coming back with Christianity. It begins with the book of the Apocalypse, which was written around the end of the first century A.D. by somebody named John of Patmos. And the word Apocalypse literally means revelation. That's why we call it in English Revelation. And it's about a a revealing of what's going to happen at the end of time, an unsealing of books, and you can see now what the outcome of all of history will be. Now a victory of Christianity or Judeo Christianity at that point. For John of Patmos. Well, connected to that, I
0: think, is this idea of the Antichrist, which now is thrown around as a label of an enemy, you know, that's going to come forth and be, be eventually defeated by, by the Savior, uh, in, at least in Christian uh, uh, thinking. Uh, what, 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 how, how did the Antichrist kind of move into this? I guess you need starring roles in an apocalyptic drama, so they were done.
1: Yes, it's a very interesting history of, of this, uh, the word, because the word does not belong to uh, the book of Revelation, as many people would think. And it appears in, in uh, the epistles of John with a different meaning, whereas the, the true beginning uh, of the story is, uh, St. Paul in the epistle, the second epistle to the, the Thessalonians, in which he speaks of the, um, the iniquitous uh, the son of perdition. So there are other names, the, the adversary, uh, other names to describe someone who quite clearly is the Roman emperor. Uh, that, yeah. that, that can be understood. If this is the enemy who will proclaim himself God and we will will sit in the seat of God in the temple of Jerusalem, uh, with this always this, the same notion of a final con, uh, conflict uh, w- in which Christ will have victory. So the construction, turning that uh, notion that there will be another uh, battle, that Christ was the Messiah, but he lost as a, instead of winning, so there should be a final victory of Christ over his adversary, and this has been constructed throughout uh, Patristic times. The first uh, author is um, Irenaeus of Lyon uh, in, in the late 7th century. So there is a long story of constructing who is the anti- Antichrist, but with this problem that he is not mentioned really in the in the Book of Revelation. But then hmm. uh, Chale knows more about the the, the later. Uh, biographies of the Antichrist that have been uh,
2: constructed throughout this
1: imagination.
2: He really took hold as a character um, with the advent of Islam and with the um, Islamic expansion to the extent that it threatened the security of Constantinople, the, the capital of the, Greek Christ, the Greek-speaking the Greek Christian world. And when that situation appeared to be at its most dicey, when it looked like Constantinople might not survive and might become a Muslim city, a, biogra- a text was written, a history of the world, called The Revelations of Methodius. We generally call him pseudo-Methodius now because he's not the real Methodius. And he constructed a scenario based very loosely on Revelation and on the book of Daniel in which... A last emperor would appear to battle, the last emperor would appear, and he would drive Islam out of Jerusalem. And then Antichrist would appear after the last emperor had laid aside his crown. In a good story, you have to have heroes and villains. So we had a hero, last emperor, and a villain, Antichrist, who came after him. This got reworked in the later 10th century in France into an actual biography of Antichrist, which is difficult to do. You can't really write a biography of someone who hasn't lived <laughs> yet, but um, somehow they managed and they, they developed details about his life. He would be Jewish. Um, he would rule in Jerusalem. He would be born to somebody who claimed to be a virgin, but who had been impregnated by Satan. Um, it was all very much take Christ and then make him the opposite of what the Bible says, take Christ. And if they'd had the terminology, they would, said, would have said, turn it into a photo negative, And then you get Antichrist.
0: Ah, huh. so you know when I hear biography, I would think it's just in human nature. There's always current inputs into that in the subtext. So when they were working up the Antichrist biography, were there current figures who they kind of borrowed from, or do you think, inflected their, you know, uh, um, affected their thinking at all? Was there some subtext to that, or it was it was more the reverse negative, of uh, just bad in every way to good in every way.
2: If you were writing a prophecy in the middle ages you always updated it according to recent events there's yeah, another okay. version of the story where they would change the initials of who the the good emperors and the bad emperors would be so that it fit the last group of emperors you're always just putting it off till the end and you always kind of make the scenario fit people closer to your time i think you said at the beginning now we sort of throw antichrist around as a general insult they they did that back in the middle ages too if when huh. the popes and emperors got into a war they always called one another antichrist that was just the, the label you went to.
3: And I would add that uh, in modern cults uh, like QAnon certainly is the one that I've started the most is uh, I often see uh, Antichrist thrown around as a uh, Congressman Riggleman here. So yeah. Yeah. I,
4: I thought I was a more elite company. Now that's just an insult. It's not as exciting to be called to the Antichrist. And, that, and and you know, listening to Sylvain and Jay, I thought, my goodness, how elite. And like, well, nowadays you're just, it's sort of an insult, you know, uh, like a jerk. But And that's what Marley was referring to when we were doing our our interviews on this. I was immediately, as you guys, you know, I don't know if people know the history of what happened to me. I had officiated a same sex wedding about six months after I was elected. And it was about a week later that I was called the tool of the antichrist. Uh, My wife was a spawn of Satan. uh, So I thought we were the big power couple in Virginia after that. But, you know, and also, you know, what you had too, is that, you know, I was also said I was funded by George Soros. I was trying to change kids, uh, sexual orientation, it became to where it was a good against evil. So the very good against evil that Sylvain and Jay was talking about is what happened to me during my election. And that and it was late 2019 where I knew that it was sort of a QAnon-based, where I was part of the deep state cabal uh, based on officiating right. that wedding. So that's, you know, in my past and disinformation was just, it was sort of ironic that after being counterterrorism for so long, you know, I've been in politics all of three years my whole life, that I was all of a sudden the toll of the Antichrist, which is on, that, that's on my license plate now. That's what I had it. It's uh, on the, uh, you know, TOC. Well, I know. Look, you're you're
0: busy out there causing plagues and stuff. So I appreciate your, you know, being able to come by our panel. Now, you know, it's interesting as I hear this as a layman. Is some things are just universal in 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 promotion, and I guess any boxing promoter can tell you the same thing. Nothing beats a rematch, and a lot of this is built on. Don't worry. We're going to win the next one. And then there's going to be a really big one. But they, what's interesting to me about apocalyptic theory is there's always, at least often in, in the contemporary stuff, a certain precision to the date. It's always a week from Thursday, you know, or there's always a magic date. where it's high noon. And this repeats again and again. I guess you just have to, to have the box office to have the thing be real. You have to have the presumption of a specificity, right? I mean, what uh, what do you think, uh, Professor uh, Piron?
1: Yeah, well, this, for me, it's, it's quite interesting because in the Middle Ages, you would rather count a year. You don't expect one day. So the first, um, th- there has been a number, as Jay was saying, uh, depending on the context, you always, I mean, you were, no. Not everybody, It's also an important point, not everybody is interested. Not everybody uh, falls into this uh, game of uh, trying to figure out who is the Antichrist, when he will appear, etc. It's just the number of people who get into that fantasies. Um, but so one very important author is uh, Joachim of Fiore, who was um, uh, an Italian Cistercian in southern Italy, who was almost uh, considered as a prophet by the Pope and as almost the official prophet, who developed a theory of uh, history based on the Bible, counting generations in the ancient Testament and then in the New Testament. And in the history of the church and developing some parallels between the genealogies and counting 42 generations of 30 years each, uh, which would be the end of one story. And that would lead to uh, 1260 so, uh, Joachim died in 1202. Um, and so 60 years, so for 60 years, people have been expecting that moment. So that was really a, a very important date. Um, which was so based on his calculation. Uh, and he was expecting. So uh, Joachim is also crucial because he is the author of this notion of the new age. Literally, the new age will be the age of the spirit started at, at that moment. So that's not a, the expectation of the end of the world, but the expectation of a crisis after which so the Antichrist is defeated. And after that, uh, there is a period So for it at no, not real historical length, but just a new age starting. And so that was one of the strongest expectations that developed throughout the 13th century.
2: Ah, and that's one of the key things about apocalyptic thinking that gets lost today, because... I I think the reason is most of us now, when we think of apocalypse, we do think of the end of the world, and we've had a very easy way to imagine that. That's you know nuclear holocaust. They didn't really they didn't have that in the Middle Ages. They didn't have that concept to fall back on, and also a lot of apocalyptic thought was, in fact, happy. Um, It was optimistic. There was a sense that at the Uh, end of the at the end of the time, or at the end of this second status that Joachim of Fiore wrote about, there would be a great renewal on Earth. Um, There would be a a storm, and now I'm getting into some QAnon terminology here. We're in the calm now, there's going to be a storm, and then there's going to be an afterstorm when peace and something like, in modern terminology, economic prosperity and justice would be restored on the earth. So the apocalypse can be a good thing from certain perspectives. Yeah, so in their
0: metaphors, it was a restart and a cleansing and a a better Mm -hmm. life ahead. Now, Denver and Marley, you guys have had a lot of practical experience and journalistic insight into QAnon and and the Allied cults, am I wrong because again i'm I'm just some knucklehead who kind of tries to follow all this stuff, but it seems some of those folks kind of enjoy this whole next Thursday it's all going up, you know it's kind of an enthusiastic hobby is that is that true? you know oh, I don't have to mow the lawn because thank God you know you know get even with Denver Riggleman lightning storm day is coming, or uh, it, it, am I missing that but th- there seems to be almost a fetish for it, particularly the specificity. And this idea, the world's about to end, so we have to organize our lives about being upset about that.
4: What do you think, Denver? You know, I I got in a little bit of trouble because um, I was in an interview, and I got in a lot of trouble with Marley. But I was in a I was in an interview where I said it was almost like this conspiracy theories where they're kink, um, and they do get excited about it. And the issue that I had, you know, when you're when you're going forward with this type of um, messianic sort of conspiracy theory was trying to get over that they did not care about facts at certain points when I was trying to speak to individuals. It was about emotion, but it was a simple idea that somehow I had gone against the grain of good against evil, and I was now on the evil side of the ledger. And um, I've never seen so much excitement for people coming up to me to confront me. And I'm going to give you guys something that's a little disturbing. Um, it's interesting. And, and I, I, I don't know if I said this in the interview, I know Marlene and I talked about so much, but we had an individual come right up to me and say, Denver, you're evil. You're the general of the sodomite armies. Um, and judgment will come upon you, you know, and that is the kind of things I had to my face. And, and I'm just telling the whole panel here, this wasn't something I was just getting on Twitter. Now I've been called, you know, you talk about Twitter or social media. I might, I might've been called the a pedophile, antichrist, evil, you know, down the line. Right? But people had no problem confronting me as a congressman, as somebody who was generally evil. And, and that is, that's the thing that I think I had the hardest time overcoming, and, that, and that's my own family too. So let's, let's take this into account that I've lost so many family members and friends, uh, as some that I knew over 30 years, saying that not only I had betrayed my country, uh, but I had betrayed God. And that's the thing that I wanted people to, to understand is that I've gotten this to my face that I betrayed God when I went against president Trump and called him out for perpetuating conspiracy theories. Marley, what,
0: what is a QAnon expert and an investigator? What what do you think about that? And this absolutism and the social glue that kind of holds it all together is, is purity, the magnet, the closer you're under the theory, the farthest from facts, the, the higher you rise in the hierarchy of it, or what, what's your take on all that?
3: There certainly is a little bit of that. And when we're talking about the dates that they've chosen, uh, you know, There are They put together calendars and lots of uh, really math that doesn't make sense to pretty much anyone, certainly not me, um, to to establish what these dates are. But one of the things that QAnon has done is create these sort of mini celebrities within that world, right? And so one of the things that they really like to do, and I think one of the reasons they continue to pick these dates is uh, many of the influencers within the Q community are able to really come up with some wonderful theory about why it's going to be this date. And then that gains them a ton of popularity within the community, right? And so for the moment, they get to be the sort of it guy of or it girl, it guy of the QAnon community. And so it brings to them so many followers that there is an incentive to continue to try and find these dates and, and bring a, a larger group of followers.
0: Does that give it an air of pseudoscience? Because in the performing art of magic, a lot of magic is called mentalism which is based on things that sound logical. Well, take the fourth letter in your name and the year you were born and count back. And it's basically a forced math equation to come up with a number. So when they pull the card out of the lock box, you're like, how did he, it seems so rational when in fact it's totally controlled. Is that what the number part of this is about just to thicken it out or,
3: you yes, know? I, yeah. Okay. Anecdotally on this, I saw a post yesterday that said that uh, on March thirty first, March. I'm sorry, March twenty first. The uh, that was the first day of the year that there would be uh, the sun would be up longer than than darkness, right? And so uh, as it shifts to that, that is an indication that it's dark to light, which is a QAnon term. Uh, and therefore, that is three twenty one is the date on that. And if you reduce that as a fraction, you become it's one seven. One over seven, which means 17, which is this Q is the 17th letter of the alphabet. And so irrefutably, this must be the day that the storm will be coming. And you see that over and over again of just like being able to be like, look, there's math, there's science. And uh, people feel really, I think, empowered and they feel a sense of, you know, intelligence around that
2: that's one of the things that really fascinated me about QAnon when I started to read some of the texts is it seemed to be really reviving a lot of things from the medieval playbook and it is drenched in religiosity even when they're not being religious so like the thing Marley just said about it has to be after the equinox because it's getting lighter that's that's how we determine Easter it's the first Sunday after the vernal equinox after and after the the waning of the moon when the moon begins to wane so after the full moon so that style of thought is written into it and when I Again, reading a lot of their texts, so there's a constant decoding that's going on. Like, why does Q drop Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs at this point? What does it mean? That's a very medieval... Exegetical, which is the, the, the $2 word I was using on the oh, page. Oh, yeah, right. Now, <laughs> um, I know it now. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jay. Exegetical. i am working into my dinner conversation. You look today. at a term and say, what does this term mean? Well, in this case, it has it has four potential meanings. Let's pick pick which one it means. So there is this kind of scientific and at times mathematical precision apocalyptic spring that the Q people have adopted.
0: Is there some thirst that it quenches in our modern society, particularly in our divided political times? That I mean, there's a good question here in our from our pre-discussion. Many conspiracy theories are built to try to explain something in society that either can't be explained or the explanation given is not sufficient. Does Q fit into that jigsaw puzzle for some people, do we think, in the modern age?
3: Yes, I think absolutely. I think for a lot of people, uh, particularly as we saw the culmination of Q result in the January 6th attempted insurrection in the Capitol, that to them was, you know, this started with the Stop the Steal campaign. And to them, they could not possibly fathom that Donald Trump would not have been reelected. And so the only answer to this must be that there's these elite pedophiles who have put Joe Biden in office. And so it gives them sort of a sense of order in their lives, I think in many ways. Uh, and they, and they, something to glom onto of like, if they can't understand something, this gives them, a, it sheds light on why something might happen. And it also at the same time allows them to feel really, um, they're, they're in the know and they, and they, therefore everybody else around them, everything that's being reported on the news, that's all untrue. And they, and they feel this sense of like, they think they've got this classified intelligence. I mean, Denver, I think you could speak to that a little bit more.
4: Yeah. I, uh- I'm also the chief strategist for the Network Contagion Research Institute, and we've been looking at a lot of data. And when you talk about filling that need, you know, Q is an instantiation of anti-Semitic baseline conspiracy theories that seems to just reinvent itself in some other form, right? And QAnon is like that. And as soon as January 6th happened, and then you got to March 4th, and then March 17th, and March 20th, and March 21st, as, as Marley was pointing out, we're seeing that Q and some of those other terms are starting to get nested back under the old New World Order COVID-1984 hashtag, right? Scamdemic is coming back in a big way. So I think they're looking for meaning in their life. And guess what? Bad things happen. And I think that's when I got a little sideways. You, you know, I, I try to be compassionate about this, but I've had, I had people come up to me and said, Look, you know, Denver, here's what's really happening. You know, obviously COVID was put here for a socialist overthrow of the United States. And this is this has really been baked in to a lot of the Republican committees I talk to and a lot of the individuals in some of the districts. This is baked in this... New world order cabal, big time takeover of our country by globalists, Um, and that's something that as you go, you can go back to back to the protocols to see that this isn't that unique. But they're always morphing and switching based on their belief systems and something that gives them a way forward or to try to explain the uncertainty. and And I got to tell you, you know, again, even I can use my own experiences, but it's even friends of mine that have that have honestly said, "Listen, you know this is true, uh, Denver. You're just sort of pushing against it because you don't have faith." To believe that this is happening. And, and that's the issue that I have with all this. And, and the problems I think I've run into is I'm running out of ways. And that's why I'm glad to be on this panel. I'm running out of ways to fight this or explain this to individuals using fact-based arguments. It's not working for me very well. And uh, I don't know if we have to drag people or vampires into the sunlight, these disinformation peddlers. you know, And I see Sylvain coming up. I just... I'm running out of ways to argue this point, And I think that's what I'm a little bothered about.
1: I sympathize a lot with Denver and what, we, what, what you suffered yourself in your private life. This is, this is really awful. Uh, maybe I have one argument that can be useful for you. Because looking at the whole story from a distance, you know, uh, from France, one thing that really strikes me is the figure that has been taken. I mean, the, the whole QAnon uh, conspiracy theory is based around Donald Trump. Uh, That wouldn't be so strong without that very strange personality. And if you look at him closely as an historian, the way I do, is I see someone who has one very strong peculiarity. He is lacking all Christians' virtue. I mean, he's lacking all virtues. He doesn't have one. He has a sort of impudent display of all the vices, of uh, lust, uh, greediness. Uh, love of luxury. He, uh, he loves gold everywhere, even in the toilets. He loves towers. So if you put all that together, if you, excuse me, because we've been discussing the Antichrist. Okay. He has absolutely all the characteristics of you would expect from the, the Antichrist. Right, really. Right. They're, they're, and this is so striking for me that nobody, I mean, I, I don't hear that often in, in the discussions around him, but the strange alliance he made with the, with the uh, uh, evangelist is so strange that it, it has to be taken to that level. Uh, These very deeply Christian people have chosen someone who has all the characteristics of the Antichrist, and they wouldn't have such a strong worshipping of him. idolatry. This is really idolatry. They, they are building uh, statues with a uh, golden face. This is literally, strictly speaking, idolatry, worshipping of someone who is an anti Antichrist figure. Uh, so maybe I think this could be the strongest answer. The answer to that movement cannot be rational, as, as we all know. It can only be symbolic, and the symbol has to be explained. Uh, the whole people have been misled by worshipping the Antichrist. And they don't, they are not aware of this. It's, for me, it's the most striking thing. People who are trying to pinpoint the Antichrist inter- uh, everywhere, even in, in, uh, clever, uh, courageous, uh, congressmen are unable to see that they themselves are worshipping yeah. the, the, the most, the ter- 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 typically Antichristic figure. Yeah, it's amazing. The Antichrist's
0: biggest con will be appearing as a Christ.
2: And actually, that's in the Bible. I was going to add to what Sylvan said. The one characteristic you agree on about Antichrist is he will fool the elect. And Denver, if you want to throw that out at the people, say, you're the elect. Exactly. Antichrist will fool the elect. And even the most basic stupid sign from the Bible that's made its way into popular culture is the number 666. The only current association with that is Donald Trump's son-in-law's most prominent real estate investment, 666 Park Avenue. Yeah. What more do you want? We've got our bills That's good.
1: No, no, no. He's really fooling the elect. That's it. So that's, uh,
4: and I think this is the only answer you can have to these people. And Sylvain and Jay, you know, I had this, um, I had this argument with a very close family member about choosing President Trump over, say, family or over, you know, my service and things like that. And what it came down to is that they had felt in their heart that God had placed Donald Trump on earth, right, to save this country and it's been very, uh, the fact that you mentioned 666 part makes me laugh because I do remember that, but I will tell you this, if I can link the storm from Q to Stormy Daniels, I win. I think that's, I think that's what you're telling me, James Levain. If I can link those two together, I think I win.
2: I might steal that one from you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Under the
0: reverse negative theory, it, it, it makes sense. He is the anti, yet, yet he's a phony messiah. Um, so, backing off the Trump thing for a minute, we're going to, questions are starting to come in. We're We'll be back to QAnon. Uh, I tried, by the way, online to get a Q baseball hat to wear for this thing, but they're remarkably hard to get quickly. Which I don't know is a factor of big sales or a sign of decline.
4: Just go to Mike Flynn's site, Mike. Go to Mike. Flynn's- oh yeah, well, yeah, I, I, yeah no,
0: believe me, I, yeah, I, I went the Main Street Amazon route just to kind of look at the mass market. I don't want to give any money to right. Flynn. I think he only takes rubles anyway. So, backing up a little to de-Trumpet, but it's a, it's a great cult moment because i remember this took hold of pop culture i think worldwide but i know in the us uh, in december of 1999 as we headed toward the big 2k millennium the famous millennium bug that basically every computer in the world was going to explode airliners were going to drop out of the sky the power was going to go away i mean it was it was big and it penetrated pop culture do you see some of the same things there that kind of unified field theory without facts but a little bit of scientific gloss on it what uh what, what's your take both historically and from people who look at q and you see similarities there it didn't seem as harsh and as tribal as q and i does but it it just showed the attractiveness of of a big conspiracy theory that predicted a a total disaster at a
2: given moment anybody anybody worried about
0: their computer that day they remember what uh you want,
2: jay you want to take it i remember that day well um and one of the topics in medieval history is the year 1000, and the year 1000 lead to massive fears about the end of the world, something we, we argue about heartily. One thing that it did, the year 1000 did lead to was the first pogrom in Europe, strangely enough, and a lot of the themes that we've been talking about seem to coalesce around these moments. There was a word got out that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem had been destroyed, and the immediate villain to blame was local Jews. The Jews had been conspiring to do this. So there's something about the DNA of conspiracies which draws all these things into dialogue. The difference with 1999 is that it's one of those things where there was sort of a conspira- there was something you could point to. There were people worried about it, computers were being reprogrammed. Q and I'll I'll ask Marley maybe about this cuz I I know you've been doing the most general work on Q. I can't find anything there that touches on reality. Is there a scientific gloss to it that helps anchor it for people?
3: Certainly, the, one of the things that's sort of acted as a portal into QAnon that has been one of the most effective ones uh, that we've seen really rise over the last year is the idea of save our children and uh, human trafficking as a main focus of of Q and the boards and the people who follow them. And so the idea there, I mean, they put you in a situation where you're either against you're either pro human trafficking or you're, you know, so that 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 being the idea that you have you have to believe in that because that is a real thing and certainly you know one child being trafficked is too many and we certainly we wish those numbers were lower in the country um, and I and you know I don't think that it is mutually exclusive I I can believe in human trafficking and understand that that is a major issue and something that should be addressed and also not think that Hillary Clinton's running it, right? Uh, and so I think that that's the sort of scientific loss that they like to put on it. And the other thing I would add on the Y2K thing is that the difference sort of now being that the digital aspect of QAnon, right, is that that can spread so much more quickly. Uh, you know, this isn't, you're not tuning into the news, you're not just having conversations within your community. This is 24 hours a day on the feeds that you're following. And, and, and therefore I think that, you know, it was, while based in many of the same ideas, it, it did spread a lot faster.
4: I'll tell you this too. We looked at the, the polling or the numbers that we had. It's, and Marley's right. Save our children was the doorway to something darker. Right. And so is distrust of institutions. What we're seeing now as it's starting to move is incompetence or a mistake by the government is seen by some kind of, of massive plan, right. To take away freedoms you know, to enact socialism, right? Uh, To change the sexual orientation of children, which is what I had after I officiated that wedding. So and the other one you're seeing now, Marley's right, save our children is election integrity. That's the doorway to stop the steal, right? Uh, You know, where one or two small things might be actually exploded into, my goodness, you know, NSA came in and changed the votes or Chavez, the ghost of Chavez invaded Dominion voting machines. And so I think there's this kernel of truth that they always wrap things around, which is distrust of institutions, save our children. All these things have little kernels of truth or, or maybe something that went wrong that you can point to. But as far as Y2K, right, I mean, I was, I was in the squadron building. I was a B1 intelligence officer then, and I remember the, the text in there that night. But um, this is something far different, and I think Marley's right. I think they can mainline this digital virus directly into their frontal lobes with all the channels, and they can pre-select their echo chambers so now everything is true. Their facts are their facts. And, and again, just like, you know, Sylvain, I'd love to use the, look, you know, the antichrist might be the one telling you everybody's an antichrist, right? But um, the issue is, is I think the belief system is so baked in in some of these areas. I don't know how to extract, you know, that belief system out without me. And, and listen, I walked into a committee meeting with 60 people and 59 of them wanted to tear my arms off, you know, after the, after the wedding and thought I was being funded by Soros it was not a good time. And again, no matter what I said, facts-based did not matter.
0: So, Marley, on the topic of facts-based and kernels of truth and scientific gloss, one thing that always puzzles me is when these conspiracies name something, because they've got the foolproof way to know, and they always cite an unstoppable secret force that, of course, can manipulate elections or whatever, and then it doesn't happen. I mean, March, what was it, March 4th? was when Godzilla was going to land with Trump riding him like a horse and become the president. And it didn't happen. So what, what happens inside these movements when whoops, um, and doesn't that create any doubt among the followers or facts so relevant that they have the perverse reaction of hungering for a new theory to keep the thing going and anybody, but we'll start with Marla.
3: Certainly. I think that, you know, and with Q, we can say, you know, many of the followers that sort of does harden their resolve. It means that they, it's, it's another day that they have to believe it. And at this point, you know, they're so deep in that it's that they they must have just been wrong on the math. They've got to they've got to find the new math for this. And they, they figured because the prophecy itself could not be wrong. Right. So it sure, certainly does part the result. I've also seen recently and certainly as it relates to January 6th, I think, you know, that was the plan. This was the storm. There was was no confusion around what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go there and drag out legislators and take the Capitol for Donald Trump, right? That was the absolute plan for this storm. And I think that that on paper or on the screen is one thing, but I think also a lot of the people, I've been speaking to several people who were there and who thought that that was what they were going to do. They got there, they looked around and they were like, whoa, this looks a lot different in real life than it does like in my head on the internet, right? And and this is, uh, wh- what have I signed up for? This is actually terrifying. And looking at these you know, buildings with all this, this uh, just the history of the mall and, and the Capitol itself and thinking, you know, these buildings are so awe-inspiring and to see them being destroyed in front of their eyes and see the violence happening around them. I think some people did actually Feel the need to uh, take a step back and be like, I'm not really sure what I've signed up for here, uh, and and so you know, hopefully we'll continue to see that with Q as as more light is shed on it. I think that you know, Q being an anonymous figure himself, it'd be great to be able to uh, you know show who's behind that cloak and and make it a normal human for people to look at uh, because then you can do Oppo on a normal human. You can put out pieces about him, right? You can't do that on an anonymous figure, and so. I think that as more continues to come out with Q and these prophecies continue to fail, we will see more people err on that side. But there are going to always be those who just resolve hardened all in.
0: Yeah, you know, interestingly, if you think that's a very good framework because when you take people out of the digital fantasy world and they try to conduct this way in real life, it gets scarier and harder. And that's uh, that might be partial tonic for it. Uh, anybody else on this topic of? Um, how they take no for an answer, you know, when it doesn't happen?
1: Yeah, well, we we have uh, very interesting medieval evidence on, on this topic. So uh, we were mentioning this uh, 1260 uh, term, which was expected. And uh, the Antichrist was very well identified by the time was the Emperor Frederick II, who really, and he himself, played the game of, uh, scaring uh, people by confronting the church, the papacy very strongly. So everybody was expecting him to be the antichrist, except that he died ten years earlier. So that was a huge disappointment that he died in 1250. And we have so many interesting documents. Especially there is one uh, Jay knows well as well um, by Franciscan uh, well uh, chronicler who writes later on the whole story. But he believed really. It was part of this uh, Franciscan who had become really strong Joachite, uh, so believer in Joachim's uh, scenario, and it, the way he talks is, is very interesting. So how he's disappointed, how he dis- he understands that, that that was wrong, he was misled. Uh, while you have other people who choose to change the date, saying, "Well, we shouldn't count 42 generations from the incarnation of Christ, but from the Passion." So you, that's typical. Yes, that's a, a, quite a classic way of changing the dates. You turn the date, you, you add uh, 33 years to uh, to postpone the event. Um, and, but more strongly, you have a small groups who believe that the events really happened, that 1260 was really the, the, the turning point, and we became uh, clandestine movements. And finally, uh, so they did the, the uh, George, um, it, Gerardo Segarelli's Apostles, and this movement ended up in in violent way with Fradoccino. Frado so it's a it's really a local group who took hold of a valley in Italy and who fought till till the end, uh, on the belief that they were uh, enacting the return to Christ's poverty, uh, that they were really the, re, uh, the the new apostles, and the whole the rest of the world was the corrupt church and society. So you can have some extreme uh, identifications of people who believe they were correct. Even uh, 45 years
4: after the events. I I got the shortest answer to that guys, if you'd like very, very short answer. And I had the texts. I would love to show you guys this because it's over and over again, is that if, if something didn't happen that they thought was preordained, it's this, that Denver, you don't understand God's will. Who could ever understand God's will? And our truth is here. It's here. They would say it's in my heart. And, Again, I would say, listen, I, looking at facts-based things, what you're saying is ludicrous. Um, and, and again, I think it just comes down to the fact that I could not possibly understand God's will. And I think that's really as simple as it gets when, uh, when I challenge people on this.
2: I would throw out in connection with the last panel that um, it was said that conspiracy theories are for losers. Apocalypses are good for losers, too. And there's <laughs> people who believe in them have had a lot of practice, as Sylvan was indicating and in saying well, we were just a little off. Let's defer a little bit. Let's defer a little bit. Um, so we can't, ex- as we have learned already, we can't expect just because January 6th didn't pan out that we're going to say, oh, we were wrong. They're going to find a new date to latch on to. And I don't know how to stop them.
0: So a final bonus question here, because this is a much smaller conspiracy, but still over the years, particularly in the 70s, has caught the American mindset. And Denver, you wrote a book about this. It and is. it stuns me that we can put a, you know, we can put rovers on Mars, yet we can't catch a nine-foot hairy thing running around subdivisions. Bigfoot. But but how did, just give me your, your three minutes on on kind of how the Bigfoot thing happened and grew
4: and has such durability. I pranked my wife on our 15-year anniversary. I told her I was taking her to Hawaii, and I took her on our Bigfoot expedition. I thought it was funny. She did not. are um, still so, married. <laughs> right. We're still married, 31 years. Yeah, I don't know why she's with me. But anyhow... I was in Air Force. I was actually working for the National Security Agency then, and I was just absolutely enthralled by the people who believed in it. And it was at that point that somebody told me I'd been sent there by the NSA to make a list of names to make sure I removed them from the map so they couldn't prove that Bigfoot existed. So I said, Is there a belief system issue here? And guys, I want to give you something that I haven't told you know, I was raised LDS. So when you talk about 1,000-year reign of Christ, that was baked in to our religion, right? Now, I'm a whiskey distiller. You can see where I've gone since then. But <laughs> anyhow, it was, it was baked in, right? Um, but the Bigfoot thing, I said, what if I wrote a book on the Bigfoot belief system based on what I experienced, say, when I was in the Balkans for Operation Allied Force, based on these different belief systems and how they actually interact with each other? And what I found was that it's so pertinent to today that this, these belief systems on Bigfoot have completely been baked into these people's lives, It's what they live for. And by the way, Mike, we would never catch Bigfoot because he's called the Quaventilure, and he's a mystical long jumper between dimensions. He's been here for a long time protecting us from the Dracos, right? So on the 240-plus million-year war between the harmonic universes, or he's an interstellar UFO drop-off, right? He's running around the woods with little green men, and they can actually beam him back up, and he's here to protect the environment or he's part of the Native American mythology, or he's a biological entity, some type of Homo erectus or Giocanopithecus blackie that can actually use infrasound or mental telepathy to terrify you where you can't see him. So, of course, you're never going to see him. And that's the thing is that what just exactly what Sylvain and Jay Marley have been talking about is that there is no way I can prove to them that Bigfoot doesn't exist. It is It's absolutely out of, no matter what I did, I could not do it. So what I did was I wrote a book, about how these belief systems actually completely inundate these individuals' lives and how Bigfoot guys who run expeditions are grifters, conspiracy grifters. And I think you see that in QAnon also with the Mike Flins and Sidney Powells, even right. the Trumps. People made a lot of money off this grift. Bigfoot expedition people made a lot of money off Bigfoot people, thousands of dollars just saying Bigfoot existed. So it's a pretty interesting, I think, uh, uh, I guess not a coincidence, but it's interesting that Bigfoot and Q seem to have a lot of things in common.
0: Yeah, there's always a grift. I remember during the peak of the Scientology thing, some friends and I had a little too much to drink and cooked up a scheme to chart, start a church of the Thetans, which in their reality construct are the other side, so they could slip us money to do theological debates and everything, build a few buildings. Of course, we That's never did smart. it, but yeah. yeah, no, I thought, why not? That would legit, they could have, well, no, the Thetans are right. No, like, We'd have We'd have a lot of conferences at Four Seasons, but anyway... Let's go to our questions now. The first one is from Rich Persida. Don't things like the rapture and the end times come at the end of the 18th and 19th centuries with the theology of John Darby and the fundamentalist modernist split? And we'll give that to our historians here, either or both.
2: I would say uh, I I grew up in the um, small-town Protestant tradition, so the rapture was baked into my religion, to borrow Denver's terminology. And yeah, that, the rapture is a very modern concept. It's not in the Bible. I think followers and believers of the rapture are surprised to learn it's not in the Bible. But it's, it's kind of, it's our version of the millennium of the thousand-year reign of Christ that we have on earth. Except now, rather than Christ coming to renew the earth, he's taking all the good people away so that the earth can be, well, smashed to a pulp.
0: Our next question is from Sherry Foschultz. Will it ever be known who QAnon is? Is it common for conspiracy theory to be pushed by someone or multiple someone's to be anonymous? So is is identity? And I would say there there are. Probably, we've got somebody in Congress who now claims to have been tricked by the internet. We'll see. Uh, and Denver, you experienced people coming right up to you. And I'm sure you've met a lot of people in the movement, Marley in your journalism isn't being anonymous, a key part of it, or just a, a feature of some.
4: Be, there's an anonymous digital profit. And I think that's what really we talked earlier about, you know, a fetish or a kink or they, you know, sort of get off on this, but you have an anonymous digital profit that's giving you revelations through cue drops that you get to decode. Right. And, uh, listen, you know, I, I think that's, That's part of it is that they had to stay anonymous. Now, of course, there's people who said that they're a Q. Marley knows all of them, as I do. And, you know, the Watkins, you know, there's so many people out there who claim to have been it or don't or, or coy about it because there is something sort of neat about an anonymous digital prophet that has direct access to President Trump as an intermediary towards God's chosen that can actually push this out as revelatory sort of tidbits that people can take and run with. So I think there's there's an allure to that. Now, I think at some point people are going to want to take credit because there's money involved in writing books and continuing the grift. Um, but um, it didn't seem that important in 28, 2019 to know who Q was. But by God, after January 6th, it seems pretty important. And I think that's why you're seeing this increased interest in a, in a fantasy that could be weaponized the way that it was. Marley, what do you think?
3: I, you know, in terms of are we ever going to find out who's behind it, I think different people have been behind it at different points. Uh, all my research points to that. I think there's a big he's coming out this weekend that's going to be talking that's pointing to ron watkins who runs the 8chan server right uh where hugh posts and and certainly maybe ron has does post uh i would not be surprised by that at all uh, i think they the people who run the 8chan accounts uh, they they have access i know they have access and they can totally do that uh, i think there have been you know it's moved around to different accounts uh there have been different sort of trip codes associated with the posts. I think it has evolved over time. And I also don't think that it was necess- it's necessarily one person. I think that it is sort of the, just this group of people who, as Denver said, this is a monetized grift that is, uh, you know, people like Mike Flynn, Sidney Powell have uh, really latched onto, And, you know, maybe they're lending some language or things like that to advise on this. I think that there is a group of sort of former intelligence officials who are advising on it and know who it is. And it is this entire sort of group of people that, you know, it's unlike, you know, very similar to any sort of political operation of just pushing. They, they, everything they put out made Donald Trump a prophet, made him this God. And it really, built his base in a way that he, they could never leave him uh, and they would have to continue to vote and so for him. And so no matter what he did, right? And so uh, I think that, that that's probably a lot of people that were attached to the Trump campaign and, and around him that were involved. And we, I don't know if we'll ever see them all, but we're going to find out some of them for sure.
1: Just briefly to say that this is a, a huge difference with medieval cases in which uh, you don't have anonymity, you have pseudonyms. So prophecies are always connected to pseudonymous uh names famous names but uh, clearly not related to the to the writing of the prophecy and it's always at a distance uh, either in the past or uh, in space and and you have the also the the interpret. Commenting, transforming the text. So you, you don't have this uh, re elaboration, production of uh, uh, new prophecies continuously, as in, in the way Q is doing. So this is really something totally different, I, I think. It's mm, interesting. This manipulation, this constant manipulation of the prophecy. A question from Hannah
0: Mason. I'm going to prove what a brave moderator I am because there's some language here. I'm going to stumble over pronunciation, but I am fearless. Here we go. From Hannah, one area of research interest for me is the fragmentability of social bodies and Lucretius on the nature of things, which is tied to Epicurean belief in the inevitability of apocalypse or world destruction. Do you see these same kinds of fears about the precarity of fragmentability of the state, even the earth itself, or even the earth itself in modern conspiracy theories? So anybody want to address that? It, it, uh, it does seem like an interesting question.
2: I think this is one of the differences between medieval and modern prophecies. Again, like Sylvan was just talking about with anonymous versus pseudonymous, pseudonymous, or however you say that. My future radio career just got shot with that, myth, that pronunciation. <laughs> In the Middle Ages, there was always a sense that the earth was going to be renewed. It wasn't going to break apart. It was going to come together. I don't know if I would lay the blame or credit at Lucretius or the rediscovery of Lucretius for our current take on it but certainly in my lifetime the sense has been no the earth is going to be torn apart at the end it's it's a much more dour pessimistic hopeless take on what the apocalypse means from what the people sylvain and i work with were used to the general idea is that the earth will go flat the mountains will fold or the, the, the sea will uh, disappear so
1: everything
4: will be flat we're talking about flat earthers now sylvain my god we go <laughs> so round, round 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bull, like a flat bull. Yeah, yes, yeah. so the <laughs> spherical earthers.
0: Brian Frostacci wants to know, this is a great question, is there a convenient coalition online or in print of QAnon prophecies, responses, and so on? I have found it tough to find primary sources. So if you want to dive into this, and I suggest you buy some cetera, where, where to go? So
4: I know one place, and Marley probably knows some places, if you want to go to Twitter, go to Q Origins. Or the, you know, they, it's just a person who talks about all the Q drops and tries to actually put it into one sort of ball, right, of of things that you can actually look at. There's a lot of people that might have some different um, takes on these Q drops. And I think uh, I've found this out that there are people that there seems to be some competition in the Q world on the origins and on the drops too, which might be a whole nother hour uh, of sort of the competition within the anti-Q community, which is really interesting. Um, but and but there are some places that you can go. Q origins, some podcasts, Q A podcast, things like that. You can go that talk about the origins of Q and sort of try to get every single Q drop out there. Marley, you might know some other places too. I, I don't know that's readily accessible. Those are the ones I know that are accessible. Um, obviously, the Ncri we put out some QAnon studies. I think are very very incredible. In the Network Contagion Research Institute about where QAnon sort of comes from, but how they how they interact with social network communities which is something we're looking at very closely and so that's the Network Contagion Research Institute also Rutgers University American University does a great job there's something called peril p-e-r-i-l that you can look at also so there are places out there uh, but again it seems like uh, Q Origins seems to be a really good place to go if you want something quick you know on social media on Twitter and Marley, I don't know if you know some other places
3: yeah I mean I think that Q Origins is a great resource and uh on that, I know that there is a um, medium account that continues to uh, post all all of the prophecies and debunking them. Um, I would, I can share that link with uh, the the organizers of this great event later, and we can pass it along to uh, this person who has the question. But I, I can't think of it all at the top of my head. But there are several like this that that really unpack a lot of it.
0: Yeah, we might have to come up with Aron to claim they're like one or two letters off and, you know, create a, create a fog of distrust. All right. Our last question, we should be brief because we're running out of time from Justin Bortnick. The modern doomsday cult ethos of apocalyptic movements like QAnon and company feel in this way like a real aberration. Do you think that there's something more going on that is forcing an, an embrace of self-destructive nihilism? As opposed to modern apocalyptic thinking being just the latest incarnation of a long historical trend. So we have a special duck here, do we think? I would say we don't know. It certainly has antecedents, but it is also linked to our digital world and our kind of balkanization by the digital world that you you can self-collect with people who agree to you. It's so easy and inexpensive and quick now in the digisphere. In politics, we used to talk about precinct organization. Now we talk about the virtual precinct. The people across the street are less influential to you than your high school friend who lives a thousand miles away, who you communicate with more because of Facebook or other social media organs. But what do we think about that? Is it different?
2: QAnon seems different to me. I've never seen anything that just draws all of the different conspiratorial threads together into one really elaborate and frightening picture. And I think, Mike, you put your finger on the huge difference now, I think, is, is in fact social media. And it acts as an accelerant or a catalyst that makes the reaction or the fire, depending on which metaphor you want to go with, go that much quicker and that much further than would would have been the case otherwise. And
4: I call Q a conspiracy sticky bomb. So that's, Jay said it much smarter than I did, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a conspiracy sticky bomb where everything sort of nests underneath of it or attaches to it. But I'm going to, I want to say this, we see it as nihilistic, right? We see it as a, you know, something to look at, but they see it as hopeful. You know, they're in there thinking that it's good against evil. What I'm seeing is that energy and excitement that they've grasped this ability for good to win over evil. And I see it all the time is that I don't? They might. we might see it as nihilistic or this is a little bit nuts. They see it as their way to save the world, and I think there's yeah. an excitement out there for it.
0: First rule of screenwriting is always write the villain as a, somebody the villain thinks is a hero. <laughs> Let's wrap up. Are there social media handles for any of you? Twitter accounts, anything you want to... Uh, give people if they want to keep up with your work in this area. So then,
1: yeah, but it's, that would be the French. Not very interesting, maybe for your audience. I'm sorry,
0: <laughs> Denver. Where do people find you?
4: Yeah, a couple places at Rep Riggleman R E P, like Representative Rep Riggleman on Twitter and Denver Four VA, the number four. Um, but also, denverlyriggleman.com dot com is where uh, you can see the crazy stuff I'm doing on uh, social media, and my book is out there. So. But yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Thank you very much. You guys are fantastic. I appreciate it. And it was an honor to be with this esteemed group today. Well,
0: thank
2: you. Uh, Jay, any any Twitter handles or anything like that? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at JCRHistorian. My editor would probably now kill me if I didn't say. I do have a book related to this called Nebuchadnezzar's sure. Dream. Nebuchadnezzar's Dream thought it was a great marketable title, um, which shows how much I know. But... Um, that's out there and not too pricey.
0: Yeah, my friend Graham Allison uh, put out a very important book in foreign policy called Thucydides Trap, and it said, gee, going for the cheap paperback sales, aren't you? Title like that, and movie rights will go for a zillion. Uh, Marley, how about you? You're Obviously, you've got the documentary out on Vice, but any Twitter handle or anywhere people can follow you?
3: Certainly, I'm not a uh- super active on twitter but you may follow me at marley d clements and uh i, I sort of keep updated on the work that we at bunker Crew are produ- producing we continue to look at strange culty topics uh and the way that they influence culture so people who are interested in this might find that interesting and then yeah i would say that just watching the three-part series on vice uh rep Riggleman is in it it's uh really does a good job of unpacking the history of Q and where that is now and some of the people that we believe are behind it.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, Sylvan, Denver, Jay, and Marley, on behalf of the Center for the Political Future at USC, my conspiratorial partner, Bob Shrum, and the rest of our staff, thank you so much for being part of our uh, our attempt to shine a little light into this, this world of the apocalypse. It was very, very helpful and very, very interesting. So thank all of you and to our audience. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on The Bully Pulpit. It helps us a lot when you subscribe and rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Future. that's Future. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube and visit our website for upcoming programs.